Hello and welcome to Movies and Tea. I'm your host, always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Miss Kim Lowe. Hello. Tonight we take a break from my usual dissections of director filmographies to look at a screener that we have been received, which is uh, 2020's Still the Water, directed by Susan Rogers, her first feature film. The film itself, uh, following a trio of brothers who are coming to terms with uh, dealing with a domestic tragedy that in their past that uh, threatens to still tear them apart, as the middle brother returns home returns to home to the small quiet fishing village forcing the family once again to deal with the issues that originally drove him away now kim i mean obviously this is a screener that we were sent through to uh, have a look at and uh, as i said it's a little independent film it's directed as you said by susan rogers this is her first feature film um her Susan Rogers herself, she's a former museum uh, creator who started as a wardrobe continuity gig on television show Emily of the New Moon and soon went into uh, directing herself, uh, starting off with the uh, short film Bobby's Peace and uh, this being her feature film. But um, opening thoughts on this one, Kim? It's, you know, I think one of the, the things that really drew me to the, to the movie itself was... Uh, the setting. Um, I mean, Prince, Ad- Prince Edward Island is not usually anyone's choice <laughs> of filming, I guess, because it's just this tiny little island in 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 Canada, in in kind of eastern Canada, where just you know the only things people know it for is potato farms. <laughs> so it's not exactly um, you know potato farms and lobsters, and you just don't really. Um, I guess I never expected kind of anybody to be filming there so it it's interesting that they set it there especially in this small town and then they really captured um the essence of the island itself um the scenery and the location that they're in while also using it to set this kind of i guess more of a small town community type of uh story between this family who i guess um, it's it's the brother who's coming back from you know uh, having <laughs> beating someone up and then getting kicked off a hockey team and coming home um, to just as like a layover to to stay where uh, just you know to find his next thing. Yeah, uh, Jordy is the semi-pro hockey player who's just recently been fired from his team, as you said, for just random acts of aggression. We're told that this isn't the first time this has happened, and probably he would be further in his career if he wasn't just constantly, you know, fighting people. But he's now obviously returned to Prince Edward Island. He's teaming up with his two brothers, who've got Nicky and Noah, um, as well as the alien alcoholic father, and. Um, basically ends up joining the the beer league team uh ice hockey team as uh as he refers to it as with his older brother and um essentially tries to form some sort of semblance of a life while reconnecting with his uh two brothers um but yeah this is as you said this is a very barren location to say the least it's like the canadian south it feels like <laughs> well the canadian east so uh, but I mean, you know, I, I had it was really interesting because it was also really educational in the sense that, I mean, for me, at least even for me, I, I'm not too familiar with um, semi pro hockey teams and such. And, you know, the team that they're on is actually 
is actually a team that exists. So that was kind of news to me when I was looking up kind of information and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, you know, when we talk about the, the, I guess, just the dynamic between the brothers, I really like that the story pretty much kicks off right away. Uh, it doesn't take a long time to just kind of build, I guess. Right away, we know uh, Jordy's issues and him being kicked out of the team and going home. And right from the first time this conversation happens that he drives into um, to, to park at, at his brother's, uh, his brother Nikki's house, you know right away that there's an issue that, that is between them. And I think this is the thing that hangs over the entire movie is what is this issue that has caused these brothers to break apart uh, more Nikki and Jordy than than obviously with the younger brother Noah because Noah seems to be probably uh, much younger than they are so he's less I guess less affected he's more of like the glue in the family where he still you know takes care of his father and then he still um, it has a close relationship with Nikki and he doesn't seem to be so, such so against, um, I guess, uh, uh, Gordy, Jordy being back. I don't remember his name. Yeah, anymore. yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the whole plotting it reminded me of like those uh, Mills and Boone novels you get. You know, with a shirtless cowboy on the front. It's only instead of being in the South, we're in the. As we said, they're in the east of Canada, and obviously, instead of a cowboy, he's a hockey player because you know there's <laughs> a lot of cowboys in Canada, as far as I'm aware. So, but it's the same sort of thing. Is that it's somewhere between that and a Nicholas Sparks novel? Um, nobody, this is not a <laughs> this is not, not not a movie you go into expecting a fun time. I'll tell you that much. But it's, it, uh, but I I like that you bring up the Nicholas Sparks thing because the, in one of the dialogues and that conversation they had later on in the movie they actually refer to as a joke of bringing up oh whatever Nicholas Sparks um, and I thought that was kind of interesting <laughs> in that sense because you have this sense of drama that's going on between them and then you have this kind of oh a strange brother that comes back he's and I and I know where you're coming from and I think that you can really see um, where it is because I took a quick look at um, Susan Rogers because she's also a writer, um, the, the books that she's written, and it seems to be more along the this kind of, I, at least just from the summaries. I've never read any of her books, but uh, just that seems to be the, the area of writing that she's more, uh, <laughs> seems to be focused in, I guess. Um, at least one of her series of her books seems to be in that area. Um, definitely books that I don't read so much of or I used to read but have definitely stopped reading at this point. It's nice because she doesn't really focus it on the romance I guess so much but you have this kind of feeling of this is really just a family drama between the brothers um, which makes it if anything there was a problem with the narrative was the balance that they were trying to pull between um, Jordy and their neighbor Abby and this growing relationship they have um, I guess this growing connection they have because they don't really have a relationship um, and as well as finding that balance between the brothers um, as you see the brothers kind of having kind of maybe a change in how they interact especially as you watch um, Nikki kind of go into this um, old path that he used to go in kind of deal 
or maybe more like as they talk more about their father going down the road of what their father was before their family was broken yeah definitely i mean when we look at the look at the the defining dynamic here i mean it's really the the story itself is really between geordie and nikki noah's kind of surplus to means really and kind of in terms of men wondered what he was there for other than very many failed attempts at humor uh such so we get that really uncomfortable scene where he's harassing the waitress and i'm sure that perhaps that was supposed to be funnier than it came across but it just came across kind of mean-spirited but certainly the main sort of meat of the story is just in the relationship between geordie and nicky i mean obviously geordie is the good-looking drifter type here as we see he's like rolls into town and then sleeps in the back of his truck and uh is uh, wandering around with his shirt off to much the delight of one of the locals, it has to be said. And I have to say, I it looked bloody cold, so I wouldn't, I don't know how he managed to sleep in the back of his open trucks. But and then you obviously got Nikki in comparison, who's the one who obviously stayed at home and continued to run the family business and got married and had kids and you know settled to responsibilities while looking after this father who's got this highly abusive and drunken past and at the same time has been basically crippled by old age um and that's the only thing that sort of mellowed him out but you get the for the conversations that these two characters have you get the ideas that he was once a real nasty piece of work seeing him i was kind of glad that it didn't go into the cliche things where you know he reconnects with the old girlfriend in town or <laughs> and um oh there's this sort of nonsense it's just really is just focuses the whole time and just these two brothers reconnecting and as i said the neighbor abby being the sort of uh go between between the two sort of you know, a way to uh to discuss other other things and at the same i mean he also has his ghost cat that he constantly feeds that you never see in the film <laughs> I really, I, I think, I, I think the most genius part of the movie that I really, really thought was amazing was how they keep talking about this cat, and then you keep wondering throughout the movie whether the cat is going to make an appearance, and you know, obviously because we're such cat people <laughs> with our own studio yes. cats, we kind of <laughs> don't you sometimes wish during our recordings that our studio cats would be a little bit more ghostly. It would be nice when they're just busy <laughs> knocking stuff over or snoring next to the the mic in case of marmite. So, um, so yeah, and I, I, this, I mean, the thing that I sort of my wishes Rogers, I mean, to set out to direct this film she didn't want to build sets at all so she uses locations in the town um the downside of this obviously situation is the fact that we end up with this situation similar to when you watch like kung fu movies and you have a, a style of editing called teleport foo where characters will like jump in the air and then suddenly you move to a different location we seem to be experiencing the yeah. serious drama version of that where characters will be like talking in one scene and then we're snapped to them talking a completely different scene and there's no connective scene between it. And it ends up with this really disjointed feel at times to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely, I think one of the, the scenes that really showed that was uh, when Jordy goes for a coffee and then he's sitting down and then the next shot, nothing actually happens. He's just listening to the people in the coffee shop talk in the, oh, in the distance or something. And then the next shot, he's at the bar. <laughs> and he's getting a beer at the bar. Yeah. And you're just like, what? <laughs> what happened? What was the purpose of that? <laughs> 
certainly with uh, when we look at the character uh, Geordie as well, that that she's trying to do that uh, less is more approach, and it just doesn't really work a lot of the time. I mean, it's no real sort of discredit to um, the actor himself. I mean, here he's played by Ry Barrett, who's kind of like Calendar's answer to Chris Helmsworth. There's a real distinct look between the two, and I think maybe the further down the line he may uh, slip into that role once uh, once the big leagues discover him. But Ben Harry, I mean, he's enjoyable enough to to work and gets to do a bit of uh, emotion for him. You just wish that he would do more instead of just like standing there like a mute yeah, half the time. You know what's really nice about Stola Water for me is really the fact that um, I'm I'm actually really yeah. familiar with films especially by Ry Barrett as I'm looking through his Barrett as it's like as I'm looking through his list there's a lot of movies that I have seen of him especially in in the Canadian indie film especially in kind of like the horror setting he's he's done a lot of movies and especially with you know he starts off I think he starts off a lot of the movies he was in was part of um Black Fawn films so that's a studio, that's a, you know, a, a film production studio that I've been very, very, fo- like, following very closely. So, I mean, um, he's actually also in one of the movies where we reviewed, um, well, we didn't review, but we talked about prior, um, and that's, uh, I think it's just Justin McConnell, which was who did uh, Clapboard Jungle, the documentary about, um, yeah, and he was in his movie, Life Changer. Yeah, so I mean, I I, I mean, uh, Rye Barrett has a lot of credit because I think the first movie I saw him was in The Drownsman, and he not only has the role of being, um, you know, in the in the movie itself. I don't remember exactly, but he plays the he plays the Drownsman, the actual Drownsman, which is kind of like Black Fawn's way of creating this monster that was um, kind of paying homage to horror movies. But obviously that's besides the point, but I mean, you know, I've also talked about antisocial and movies like that, which I personally really enjoyed. So, um, I mean, he's been in a lot of different, uh, you know, obviously he's definitely high on my list of actors that I've, I've seen a lot of in the indie, indie film scene. And like you said, I mean, he, he could really make it big if, you know, he gets, um... I guess <laughs> hired into bigger bigger movies as well, um, more well known than I guess this indie scene. But I mean, it's not that he's done bad movies or anything. And um, I wasn't aware of this before, but it's a movie that's on my list. Uh, he's also in The Heretics, which actually he pairs up with Colin Price, who plays Nikki in this movie. Um, so I'm gonna be interested in watching that just to see how the dynamic of that movie carries from. This one. I just wanted to obviously just talk about the the neighbor character um, again because she has a very weird introduction. I thought I wasn't sure if I actually missed something with with her because um, Geordie's truck breaks down and then she just appears from nowhere and throws like these junk leads down. I was like, what the hell happened? Did I miss something here? Well, I I don't know. I mean, I think it's just I think it's just a neighbor thing, right? Because they all live in that same corner, that same kind of triangle type of area. Yeah, but still, you you introduce yourself. You don't just walk up and just like throw junk leads at someone and like with this sign sign that their broken ass truck has been annoying you. So it well, seems I like think really it's just weird. I think it's 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 sort supposed to be an introduction for her character um, because Abby is kind of this character okay. which seems like 
it's hard for her to be very, I guess, close to other people or connect with other people. There's a lot in her past that she's trying to let go of. And I think that's part of what it is, is she, it's her sign of helping, I guess, that, you know, you're, maybe her, his truck is in the way, maybe whatever we, we can think of. We don't know the reason for, for sure, but she offers her help and maybe she's just not a people person. It's supposed to, I think the opening scene like that is really for her to, it's really to craft her character. Right from, you know, the first impression that she's not probably easy to deal with as a person or, you know, she might not be as friendly as, uh, you know, she's a little off-putting as in the first in the first scene. And it's a way to kind of open up her character so that we slowly learn more about Abby. But, you know, my main thing is I feel like Abby's story is so on the side and it sometimes even feels like she's really there just to create that conflict between the brothers as like this trigger and a part of me when I'm watching this movie makes me wonder whether it feels a little bit too deliberate like it doesn't help with the flow of the movie no I mean the flow is one of the big issues of this 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 film is sort of like it feels that um that she had all these ideas for scenes in mind but had no idea how to really sort of connect them and I think this is the the problem is the fact that it's so focused on these, on only particularly two characters, I mean Geordie and Nicky, it's just where the focus just lies constantly. That it never gives us any sort of B plot that the film really could have done with, just to sort of break things up or uh, just to give us some sort of give us an excuse so that we when we cut from one character they don't just randomly appear in another scene. Um, it just felt like the film was missing. I mean, obviously, while we have some very good performances here and the story itself is certainly not without its moments, it's just, I would say, just there's only so much you can beat the audience down. You know, give us some reprieve here. I mean, we get the only sort of real bit of action scene we get uh, here is when uh, Geordie goes um, goes uh, with Nicky and they go lobster <laughs> fishing. And uh, he almost he gets pulled overboard, and at one point it seems like he might drown. Um, that that's our that's our one big action beat that well, we get in this film. So, if you're looking for a film where a lot of people are very angsty and and uh, down, like very sad, then I think you may enjoy this movie more than sort of my middle of the road experience. I, I have. I mean, I think I didn't expect like action because this does feel like a more. Uh, quiet sort of drama for sure and in reality compared to I guess I guess it's just where you're at right because I'm coming out of uh, obviously it's been a month or so now but I mean I came out of um, of the of the news of the new film cinema thing uh, festival and it's just that festival was a bunch of drama which really had some really really depressing stuff going on <laughs> so when you think yeah. about it i actually thought this one ended on quite the high note which is a really different approach to a lot of dramas that are you know slow burn because there is some kind of redemption in our characters there's there's kind of a peace offering the characters all seem to go for the better i know happy endings aren't what everybody loves to have but it's but I think it was well-deserved in that sense. Um, my only issue with a lot of movies nowadays is that every single movie stems from lack of communication. 
And that really frustrates me because yeah. if you didn't start punching people, <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a brother's thing. I've never had brothers. I, I don't even have sisters. So, I... <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> this is the thing. I mean, Jordy, um, is, is sort of like got this, this whole sort of history of getting into fights on the ice, but yeah, he moves to the town and it's Nikki who constantly keeps punching him in the face every five yeah. minutes. So, so, you know, I, I, I can see I can see that um, I think what I appreciate from the movie um, there is definitely a lot of stuff um, especially in execution that could be a lot better um, especially with just how the script itself flows but I think the center of the story is not a bad one because it, it does tell a fairly straightforward story um, and it does tease that kind of uh, carry that story forward by giving you that unknown factor that you're trying to understand what's going on with this family. Uh, the whole time you don't really know until you hit that final act when things kind of come back together and everybody seems to... I guess it's the whole central concept of forgiving, right? And giving, um, like I said, redemption to, to each of the characters as they face each other. Maybe not run away from their problems, run away from the broken family, um, you know, face up to their own responsibilities, that sort of thing. But at the same time, you, you know, but then, you know, there, there's a lot of things I, you know, I do enjoy about the movie. I think the soundtrack was pretty good. The setting was really good. Um, the acting, I thought, was quite on point. I mean, Rye Barrett delivered a really good performance. Um, Colin Price was also really good. I think I think if there was anything that I didn't really like that much, probably was the Abby. Um, Abby Abby's character really turned me off. I don't know why. I had I had issues with how her character was written. She's kind of nothing, isn't she? She she just feels like I said. She feels like more of um, it. Just seems too deliberate her character, and it's not really. Because it's not fleshed out either. You never know what really happens to her. You know that she loses her kid. And I I don't know if I missed it, but missed it or not, is it that she lost her kid? Or is it that the kid can't see her anymore because she's she lost custody? I don't know what it is. But she's lost, you know, she's lost her child. And that's as straightforward as it is. And that's why she, it's something that she can't move on from type of thing. Um, but at the same time, her character seems like it doesn't have enough space to grow. But then you give her quite a bit of screen time also. So it's neither here or there, I think. I think that's where I'm at with it. That her character doesn't seem like I care enough that it matters. But because I know that this is about Jordy and Nikki... But at the same time, Abby also seems to be this key piece that drives the brothers away, but also pulls them together. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, but. I know what you mean. So it's um, as I said, it was not a sort of film I would normally watch, and you know, it was it was an okay experience. I found with this one, I haven't really got much else to really say mm. about this one. I mean, it it's. It sort of hinges on on a on a couple of performances here, and it's just a shame that the construction needed some some work here, as it feels like. Mm. Um, but you know, it's as I said, maybe you you watch this and really enjoy it a lot more. Maybe you like 
dramas where people are just very sad and 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 angry at each other, and that's that's what you get. I mean, for myself, I'm not a huge fan of the uh, family angst style drama, things like this, and Tyrannosaur. Um, just don't or down terrace. They just don't really. It, it, when people say that it's sort of like a mm. gritty and it's a hard watch, it's all that's not sort of things that sort of stand out to me as things that I want to spend my time with. So. But um, no, as it, I mean, it deserves some credit for trying to give it something new in terms mm. of location. Um, so now I know what the Easter Canada looks like. So <laughs> a very small piece of the Eastern Canada. <laughs> right, so uh, so trucks with the uh, the maple leaf on the back and <laughs> like the concept of if you don't know what PEI is, PEI is this tiny little island that you can pretty much drive. I think in a day you can drive through it. I have okay. I have tried to do it, but yeah, uh, yeah, I have I have tried to do it before. So, so, but yeah, not somewhere I'm going to be sort of rushing to go and plan my next holiday to. I don't think so. <laughs> well, <laughs> as we're filming this, there's no planning <laughs> for any holidays between Canada and UK at this point. So, <laughs> no, 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 I suppose not. <laughs> <laughs> What I would recommend if you did like this, I would recommend checking out Winter's Bone from 2010, starring uh, Jennifer Lawrence towards the start mm. of her career. Um, set in the Ozark Mountains, and basically it's a really, uh, well, this one's obviously like a small, you know, fishing sort of town. This is obviously a small little redneck town, and uh, basically Jennifer Lawrence plays this uh, teen called Reed Dolly, who basically has to try and track down her dad after he skips bail and to stop the house from being repossessed she has to basically try and find out where he's disappeared to in a town full of its own secrets um this is again is a very similar in sort of tone it's not the happiest of uh, pictures but it's a fun unique twist on the on this sort of like investigative fellow with uh, this young girl trying to find out where her father's gone and encounter the many weird and wonderful locals of this uh this town uh, that would be the one I would would most go to no I think if you like this I would uh, recommend checking out Winterspone for 2010 yeah that's a really good choice I mean I, I actually thought about Winterspone as uh, a potential further viewing but I don't remember the movie because I watched it so long ago. I only remember Jennifer Lawrence was in it, and that it was a pretty good movie, and that's about all. Yeah, I really it was one of those movies, again. <laughs> I, it was a lot more harsh than I was expecting it to be, but it's one that um, that came out. It's a little indie movie that could, uh, but again, another female director, so we think it fits in perfectly if we were to do it in our our uh, upcoming season, where we're going to be celebrating the work of female directors. It's directed by Deborah Granick. Uh, but no, it's certainly a, a real sort of standout mm. uh, performance by a, a young Jennifer Lawrence who's obviously gone on to bigger and better things. So. But uh, yeah, that would be my um, the one I would I would put it uh, next to. I mean, there's also Frozen River um, from 2018, directed by Courtney Hunt and with Melissa Leo, um, who's a work, plays a working class mother in need of. Uh, money and she's lured by the possibility of easy cash basically smuggling immigrants from Canada to the US across the St. Lawrence which is uh, frozen in winter and uh, yeah it's again it's a similar, very similar in sort of theme and 
again another part of Cavendish, I guess, to please look at. So I suppose it's closer in their location than Winter's Bone, but both have got that similar similar feel in their setting to uh, to this film. So those would be my two picks anyway. So hmm. thank good. you. I like your picks. <laughs> Anything you want to add to talk? No, I don't. I, I don't really have... Um, I think the only one I really came up with was uh, Winter's Bone, and I wasn't too sure about it anyways. But you already mentioned it, so I'm going to stick with awesome. your picks. Uh, so there you have it. There's our review of Still the Water. Um, Kevin is on the festival circuit at the moment, so uh, keep a lookout for it. Uh, what it's said about, we've got no details on our a home or a streaming release at the moment um so yeah but um i would uh depending on as i said it depends on the sort of movies you like to watch how much you're going to get out of this but for myself it was about a two point i would say it's 2.5 you could go either way with this film for myself so but but uh, as of this brings to the end of tonight's episode, thank you as always for listening. If you want to check out our other episodes, you can do it at moviesandteapodcast.wordpress.com. And wherever you happen to listen to us, please do hit the like and subscribe button to make sure you don't miss an episode. And maybe leave us a review, a rating, as it all helps raise the profile of the show. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, currently at the moment, we are in the middle, midst of our David Fincher retrospective uh with our next episode coming up being panic room so hope you can join us for that but until next time thank you to my co-host kim and thank you everyone for listening good night <laughs>